Psalm 34, verse 8 is our verse this morning. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, as I mentioned this morning, this is our theme for this year's thank offering, that we are to taste and see that the Lord indeed uh, is good. And how do we know the goodness of the Lord? We know the goodness of the Lord by knowing God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest expression of the love of God for man. In Jesus Christ, we have one who is both God, fully God, and yet truly became a man like us, yet without any sin, in order that he could secure for us our salvation through faith in him. And the psalmist is inviting us to taste and to see that the Lord is good, to see that indeed God is faithful and he is loving and he is kind. The Bible says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of those who rebel against him. But he wishes that all would come to faith and to repentance. He desires earnestly and sincerely that men and women, boys and girls, would turn from their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of you have tasted, I know, for yourselves and have seen that indeed the Lord is good. God has made us to be in fellowship with himself. We are not made for ourselves, but we are made to glorify God. The first answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man, is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to what? To enjoy him, right, boys and girls? And to enjoy God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It is good to know the Lord, and it is good to be known by the Lord. We, of course, are coming up on Thanksgiving uh, here in two weeks. And I was speaking with a young man uh, who is a student here in this uh, country from a different country. And we were talking uh, the other day, and I asked the student, I said to him, does your country back home have a day of thanksgiving like we do because we were talking about how this student was going to go with his roommate and and celebrate thanksgiving and i asked him i said does your country have a day of thanksgiving and he he paused for a second he said we don't and then he said we probably should and i thought to myself i didn't say anything but i thought to myself yes probably should we don't realize sometimes how blessed we are in this country to have a day of thanksgiving. You boys and girls know how many countries there are in the world? Roughly about 195 countries in the world. You know how many countries in the world have a day of thanksgiving where they worship God and thank the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ? You can count them on one hand. Five. Five countries. Now, there are other countries that have fall festivals and, and things like that, but there's only five countries that call it a day of thanksgiving uh, unto the Lord. In addition to ourselves, there's Canada, of course. They've already celebrated it. They celebrate it in October. 
we don't hold that against them. It's already snowed in Canada, hasn't it? <laughs> you gotta, you got to celebrate it early, don't you, dear? Now, Canada, it, they celebrate early October. Liberia, interestingly, in Africa, has a day of, of Thanksgiving. And in some ways, that shouldn't surprise us, because what is the nation of Liberia? Liberia really is a colony of the United States. It's where former slaves from the Americas went back and started this nation. And so if, and if you look, their flag is a lot like our flag. They have a day of Thanksgiving there in Liberia. Grenada and St. Lucia uh, in the Caribbean region also have days of Thanksgiving. Why should we have a day of Thanksgiving? Why is it important? You know, I think about the parable of the 10 lepers when I think about Thanksgiving. And you think how uh, the Lord in, in that account uh, healed 10 men with leprosy. Now, leprosy, boys and girls, is a terrible disease. Uh, it affects not only the skin, uh, but it affects um, also the nerves. And, and that's why lepers oftentimes have deformities because they, they lose their sense of feeling. And when you lose your sense of feeling, you, you no longer can sense when, for example, something is terribly hot or you can't always sense when you've been injured in some way and you don't realize and, and, the, and the wound can get affected and the burn can be quite terrible. So here were 10 men and they were ceremonially, you'll remember, separated from the people of God. You could not dwell in the camp if you had leprosy. And as you walked about, you remember you were to cover your, even your face. How is leprosy transmitted? It is transmitted much the way that uh, this recent pandemic is transmitted through uh, airborne water particles from one to another. And you'll remember that the Old Testament law said they had to cover their mustache. That's what it literally says in Hebrew, to cover their face. And when they were approaching someone, they were to say, unclean, unclean. And it was, it was a, a terrible disease, and not only in the effects on the body, but socially those of you who still feel the effects of the late pandemic socially can maybe relate to that sense of isolation that you felt back then. They had to live with that all the time. And so it's not surprising that lepers would find fellowship often only with other lepers. And so here's a group of 10 lepers and Jesus heals them. They cry out to Jesus from a distance. They don't even approach near him and they just cry out because remember they, they were often going to shout unclean unclean and so they shout out to Jesus son of David heal us and Jesus acquiesces to their request and miraculously provides a healing for all 10 of them and says go and show yourself to the priest which is actually what the law of Moses said you had to do when you were cleansed of your leprosy to go and show yourself to the priest let him examine you make sure that the leprosy indeed was gone and in remission at least and, and then you would make the appropriate sacrifices and so the ten go off and all of them are excited all of them are happy but one leper comes back to Jesus one leper out of the ten comes and he falls down and interestingly he wasn't even an Israelite the others were Israelites but he was a Samaritan he came back and he worshiped the Lord and thanked the Lord for what he had done. As R.C. Sproul says, it's not that they all weren't grateful. The point is what? Only one took the time to demonstrate the gratitude. 
in going back to the Lord. That's why Thanksgiving is such an important day. Because we are setting apart a day each year to go back to God, to go back to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to give him thanks for our blessings and the mercies we have providentially and by way of redemption as well. You know, Jesus said to the leper, where are the rest? Were there not ten that I healed? Why, in some ways, Jesus is saying, why am I only getting a 10% portion back of thanksgiving? And when you think that only five countries have a day of thanksgiving in the world, you realize he's getting even less from the 195 countries that ought to be thanking the Lord. All of us should be thanking God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, of course, it's not something that is to be done just for one day, but really is to be done year-round. We are to be a grateful people. Thanksgiving is an important biblical concept. It's interesting that we, in our West, celebrate Christmas so much, and, and that is fine, and uh, it is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, the story of the account of Christ, the Son of God, becoming a man. But isn't it interesting that the Bible never seems to indicate, either by precept or by example, that the church in that first century celebrated Christmas? And yet, the Old and the New Testaments tell us that we are to be celebrating Thanksgiving unto God. In fact, the Bible is replete with both commands and examples of the people of God returning thanks to the Lord for his mercies. And so, as I have said many years, uh, those of you who are members for a long time, you've heard me say this, that, that Thanksgiving, in many ways, probably has greater biblical warrant for our wholeheartedly celebrating um, even than Christmas. And I think we should think about that. The New Testament, let me give you just some examples here. From 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that our whole attitude should be one of thanksgiving. If you suffer from a bad attitude, probably you are not thankful enough to God. If you're a bitter complainer, a criticizer, a fault finder, always looking at the speck in somebody else's eye, then listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You know, you and I, we struggle, don't we, with our attitude? I do. Boys and girls, we do, don't we? We struggle to have a good attitude a lot of times. And you know, that's presumptuous, isn't it? Maybe that's not a word I should use with when I'm talking to the kids. Presumptuous means you think you're owed something. We need to realize that, you know, the only thing God owes us is judgment and hell for our sins and our rebellion against him. Everything above hell, says Joel Beakey, is mercy. We should come with an attitude recognizing that we, we are lepers who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We are filthy and rotten by nature. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is nobody who deserves to be in heaven except Jesus. 
There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have broken his commandments. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when we break even the smallest commandment, we have broken the entirety of the law. It's a package. It's like shattering of a mirror. You, you take the mirror, and, and if, if it cracks, uh, usually the crack will extend throughout. We see this with windshields, right? We don't fix the little crack. What happens over time? Eventually, it, it spreads. And so it is with the smallest of sins. We need to realize we are debtors to God, debtors to his love, his mercy, and his grace. He has been good to us. He has not treated us as our sins deserve. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve trillions of years separated from his mercy and his grace and his love. He is infinitely holy. And even though my sins in themselves may be finite as I am a finite creature, yet I have sinned against an infinite God. Therefore, there is an infinity to my sin. There, because of the majesty of God, the glory of God. You know, if, if you sin against a sibling, young people, that's not good. If you sin against your grandmother, that's really bad. Why? Because your grandmother has higher degree of honor and majesty and glory than a sibling does. Well, if that be true at a human level, if it be more offensive to sin against an aged person than it is to sin against somebody young or a peer of yours, then think about how much worse it is for you, a creature of the dirt, to sin against the eternal, infinite God who created you himself and sustains you gives you the very breath in your lungs. He's the one that causes your heart to beat. He's the one that gives your brain the synapses that fire and are, is able to, to think and to think that he sustains you and that we, in turn, would sin against him and rebel against him and despise him and his commandments and do what is wrong, do what is sinful, do what he said you shall not do. And it's been that way since... The beginning, when our first parents created in innocence and holiness and in righteousness, upright in the garden, they disobeyed God and they ate of that tree that God said, thou shalt not eat of. And we were plunged into this ruin and misery. And so the fact that God gives you lunch tomorrow <laughs> is a mercy of God. He should give you judgment. He should damn you. He should cast you down into the depths of hell. You should be in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You deserve a place of outer darkness. And you say, oh no, pastor, I'm a good person. Friend, you're judging yourself compared to other sinners. You're a leper who's looking at other lepers, saying, I'm clean. You fool. Do you not realize you don't look at other people to judge whether you are righteous or not. You look at the infinite holy God. And you look at who has been revealed in the scriptures. And there you'll get a right sense of who you really are. You've been a sinner from the time you were little. Boys and girls, I can remember I was three, four years old and I took pocket change off a coffee table that didn't belong to me. I still remember that sin to this day. And then I lied about it. Who taught me to lie? 
Did my mom sit me down and teach me to lie? Did my dad? Did my dad say, hey, son, come here. There's something you need to know if you want to get through this life. Let me tell you how to bear false witness. No. Neither of my parents taught me that. How did I know how to do that? I was born that way. You were born that way. You were born dead in your sins and trespasses. You were born as an object of the wrath of God, even though you're made in the image of God. And yet God in his infinite love did what? He sent Jesus his only son, the son of God, the eternal son who is with the father and the spirit from all eternity past. He sends the son to become a mere man. Do you realize how humiliating that is to the Lord Jesus Christ? That the eternal son of God who dwelt in glory for all eternity should come into this miserable sin-cursed world as a man and suffer all the indignities not only of being a man but a man in a fallen world born under the law born of a woman under the law and then to receive the curse of that law upon himself as he's hanging on the tree to cry out my god my god why hast thou forsaken me well because the father and the son and the spirit agreed in eternity past that the Son would come in and redeem us. How are we saved? How are we delivered from this judgment that we deserve? It is only through God sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to become a man and substitute himself for us. All those sacrifices of the Old Testament, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, they would offer these sacrifices in the Old Testament but they always knew that these sacrifices in themselves were not sufficient because an animal cannot substitute themselves truly for the sins of a person. Only a person can take the place of another person. Otherwise, there is no satisfaction. And so these sacrifices that the Israelites were commanded to make, they were always there to point the people that one day God would offer his son for their sins. They knew, they knew that, the, that this animal could not take the place of themselves. They knew they needed a better sacrifice. They knew that in their conscience, and they knew that God had promised. Even back in the day of Abraham, when Abraham was commanded by God to sacrifice Isaac, and you remember that just before Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, God tells him to stop. Why? Because God essentially is saying, Abraham, you're not going to provide a sacrifice for me. I'm going to sacrifice my son for you and for your son. I'm going to send Jesus Christ into the world. He will be the substitute. And I will demonstrate this by causing a ram to be caught in the thicket by its horns as a type, as a symbol of what I will do for you. So you see, when you get that perspective on life, suddenly things change, don't they? Suddenly now we realize how foolish we are. We, we, we smite our thigh and, and we say, Lord, forgive me. 
forgive me, Lord, that I, I presumed that I was owed all these things, all these blessings. Lord, forgive me of the foolish man that I have been and the bad attitude that I have held before you. Lord, you have been gracious. You have been kind. You have been merciful. You have been infinitely loving towards me, a sinner. Lord, I owe you everything. Lord, I'm thankful to you. And, and what worship is, is, is when we believe in the gospel, the good news that God freely pardons sinners, that he freely will wash away all our sins. It seems as though it's too good to be true. Surely I must do something to earn this. Surely I must give something to God in order to get this. And God says, no, this is a free gift. This is a, a, a something that you can only receive. Then we begin to realize what it is that <clears throat> to be a grateful person here. Listen to what Paul says. He says, even when we need things, even when, and we do need things. Your heavenly father knows that you need things. He knows that you need food <coughs> and clothing, etc. And Jesus said, look, don't be anxious for anything, but rather make your request known. And Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, pray, ask for the things that you need in this life, but do so, he says, with what? A spirit of thanksgiving. Not a spirit of you're owed this. I've been good. You should pay me, Lord but a recognition of, of what God has given us in the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions, and then he says, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Do you, when you pray, how, what does your prayer life sound like? If we were to hit the record button on your secret prayers, uh, would we find in those prayers Thanksgiving. I think if you were to record mine, you probably aren't going to find it enough. Um, I'm not sure I want to hear my secret prayers played back to me. But Paul is saying, as you bring these entreaties, as you bring these prayers, as you bring these petitions, make sure that you bring them with thanksgivings. That is, recognize all that God has done. Boys and girls, don't be as the nine lepers who take the blessings of God and go away and never come back to God and say, thank you, Lord, for these blessings. But be as that one leper who was cleansed, who goes back to the Lord and bows before the Lord and says, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for these mercies in my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me by the righteousness of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit to dwell within me. Thank you for putting up with me, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with me as your child, as your son or daughter in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, Do not cease giving thanks. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Even, he says, for the church while making mention of you in prayer. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, everything is created, created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. That is food and drink made by God. Jesus has cleansed it all. If received, he says, with gratitude. That is, we can have liberty as Christians in food and drink. If what? We render thanks back unto God. 
Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and he says, and overflowing with gratitude. And then Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. One more, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. It doesn't mean that everything is something for which we are thankful for. There are bad things. But he's saying in those situations where something providentially happens that is bad, we still can find within that reasons for thanksgiving. We have innumerable blessings from God. We have our salvation in Jesus Christ, eternity. Even if you had 70, 80 miserable years in this life, if you have Jesus Christ, you have trillions and trillions and trillions of years of bliss in the new heavens and the new earth, a world where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sighing, no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain. I mean, think about that. What a trade. 70, 80 years compared to an infinity of time in the new earth, in the new heavens. We have the forgiveness of all our sins. You think about all the, the sins that we've committed through a lifetime and they're all gone and God remembers them no more. He doesn't count them against us. He, he puts them as far as the east is from the west. We have a righteousness that is, enables us to stand before God. How can I stand before this holy God given the life I've lived? Because the righteousness that you have is not your own. It's Jesus' righteousness given to you as a garment. Jesus essentially says, take my robe and put it on. This will be your righteousness. We have the daily blessings of God's providence without number. If we were to think about all the blessings that we enjoy, I mean, just this morning, I was thanking God, knowing that the sermon was on my mind, but thanking God for running water. Aren't you glad you didn't have to walk down to the creek or the lake to go bathing this morning? Aren't you glad that the water was hot this morning <laughs> when it's 31 degrees out? Aren't you glad that you could open a refrigerator this morning? Aren't you glad that you were able to have things to put on your kitchen table this morning. We have the impartation of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in us. When we have Jesus Christ, God is pleased to take His Spirit and pour out His Spirit within us so that the Spirit of God now dwells within us. We have somebody to help us. He's a comforter to you. He's somebody that instructs you. He gives you uh, encouragement. He lifts you up when you're down and depressed. He sustains you. He sanctifies you. He makes you more like Jesus Christ. The Bible says he intercedes for you. You know, a lot of Christians know that Jesus intercedes for them, but they don't appreciate often that the Bible says in Romans 8 that the Spirit also makes intercession for them so that you have two persons of the Trinity praying to the third person of the Trinity for you. 
You have union with Christ. You are in union with Jesus Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. You have the uh, promise of a future resurrection. This body is going to give out, but God is going to perform a miracle on the last day of history and he is going to raise us from the dead and he will give us a glorified body. Your body, glorified. Not just a body, like you're going to be visiting, you know, just like, you know, this isn't verbo. You're here, you, you dwell here, you know, sign up here, and you, you get to live here for a while. No, it's your body. This is your home. Uh, you're not living in, in somebody else's body, somebody else's home. It, it will really be you, but the, it was the you that should have always been. Um, you have the church, the body of Christ to help you. You don't have to go like some cowboy to heaven by yourself, riding alone and into the western sun. You know, you've got a whole church family to go with you and to help you. You have the Bible. You have the, the think about how God not only has uh, created the Bible, inspired the Bible, but he's preserved the Bible through the centuries, and he's had it providentially translated into languages we can read and understand for ourselves. Think about all the Christian books that we have, that God has been pleased to raise up teachers through the centuries, and we profit from their lives and their teaching. Even our trials and our tribulations are ultimately for our good. Even the things that we don't like in our life, God is using those to conform you to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Even the, the thorns in your flesh, even the things that make you sigh, even the things that um, cause you grief are ultimately for our good. Look at the measure of health you have. Look at the home you have, the clothing that you have in your closet, all the, the necessities of life and far beyond necessities of life. Think about the transportation God has given you. You know, I, I, I have the privilege this week of going out to California. You know how long it used to take us to get to California from the eastern side of the country? Months. <laughs> and it's a lot of, you know, those wagons didn't exactly have great shock absorbers. <laughs> that horse gets wearying uh, after a while. And, and you get to be there in five and a half hours. And you get peanuts and Coke on the way. <laughs> um, transportation. Think about all the liberties that you enjoy. You know, the, the history of mankind is, as Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes says, it's poor, brutish, and short. You look at how most people in human history have lived. They've lived poor lives, brutish lives, short lives, miserable lives. Do you realize the difference Jesus has made in the world? Do you realize all the, the blessings that you enjoy uh, civically, economically, politically because of Jesus Christ? Do you know where this world would be without Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the most significant human being who's ever lived in, ever in human history. And, and he's not just a good teacher. Jesus is not a Christian. He's the son of God come into the world, but we have liberty, we have civil rights, we have political and religious liberties because of Jesus Christ. We have education. You know, why have we excelled in education? Well, 
because God gave us a book to read, first of all, and Christians have always thought it important that you be able to read so you know the Bible. You think about the education God has given you. The books, the libraries that God has allowed you to accumulate, the technological blessings, the computers, all of these things are related to Jesus Christ. All these common grace blessings are tied to Christ. Think about all the amusements and cultural activities you enjoy. The music, what a gift from God music is. Isn't it interesting that that Moses tells us music was essentially invented very early after Adam and Eve. That a man named Jubal was really the first musician. And, and we've been blessed with the beauty of music, the creation of music. We think about the creation itself. Even though this world has fallen, it, it still has its majesty about it, doesn't it? We, we still look at the leaves, the mountains, the, the lakes, the rivers, the deserts, the provision of seasons. Um, when, we, when we begin to count our blessings, we realize how much we have to be grateful for. You know, um, in the Old Covenant, they had special offerings. And you can, we don't have time, but in Leviticus chapter 7, they had what they called Thanksgiving offerings. They were, they were offerings where the people of God, it was above the tithe, and they simply wanted to offer uh, an offering unto God as a, an expression of gratitude for what God had done in their lives. We see how David celebrated and had a really a day of thanksgiving when the ark, which symbolized the presence of God, came into Jerusalem. The whole city rejoiced. There was feasting. There was all this food. We see that uh, even in battle, when the people of God went to war, King Jehoshaphat in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 did something that uh, most generals will tell you never to do. <laughs> and he put the marching band out front. And uh, why did he put the musicians on the front line? <laughs> it was because they were to give thanks to God. And, uh, it, and, and they, they were to give thanks to God. And, you know, as the people of God gave thanks to God, you know, God brought about a, mir a miracle in that battle. It was kind of like putting the marching band in front of the football team. You know, it's just, but, but God told them to do it for a reason. And, and to glorify him and to thank him and that he might bring about the victory. You know, our purpose this morning is to help motivate you into not only to celebrating Thanksgiving for the day, but a lifestyle of Thanksgiving to God. So that you become self-consciously and thoughtfully thankful throughout the year to the living God. In Psalm 26 and verse 7, David says we are to worship with thanksgiving. Uh, in Psalm 50, both in verse 14 and 23, the, the psalmist warns us against mere formalism. But to what? He says that God is honored by sincere thanksgiving. In Psalm 69 and verse 30, David is afflicted and is in great pain because of his enemies. And he prays for deliverance with the promise that he will what? If God will deliver me, I will render thanks to you. He offers a vow to God, a vow of thanksgiving. Lord, if you will deliver me from this plight that I'm in, I will praise you. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever found yourself in this strait and you think, Lord God, 
if you will somehow providentially help me, deliver me from this situation, I vow that I, I will worship you. I will give you thanks. I will have a special service of thanksgiving. We are called sometimes to worship with songs of thanksgiving. Uh, we are told to come and worship and bring an offering of thanks in Psalm 100, verse 4, also in Psalm 95, verse 2. Come, it says, with songs of thanksgiving. When God delivers us from trouble, Psalm 107, uh, that could be sickness or disease or persecution, that we render thanks to God. And, and we could go on. There, there's more that we could say about this, but we are, as the author of Hebrews says, running out of time. Let me do few things here by way of conclusion. Number one, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to, at least by way of meditation, maybe even write it out or type it out. Give us a list of things that you're thankful for. See, see if your outlook on life does not significantly improve as you give yourself to the exercise of thinking about all the mercies and blessings you have from God. And then secondly, to prepare for the day of Thanksgiving this year. We prepare a lot for Christmas, don't we? We put a lot of energy into it, effort. I want to challenge you to make Thanksgiving Day a meaningful, God-honoring, biblical observance in your life, in your family's life, and for all those who may be coming and gathering with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we thank and praise you for who you are and what you've done for us.